Welcome to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Iberly. How much influence does an athlete have? How much power does a coach have? How far will a team, an organization, a school go to protect the coach and the athlete and their brand? These are questions that can be answered today and will be answered by my guest, Dr. Nick Pappas. He has written the book, The Dark Side of Sports. We're going to talk about sexual deviancy inside the athletic world something that we unfortunately probably read more about than we should so it'll be interesting to get the doctor's opinions on exactly how much of these crimes are being committed inside the world that basically most of the world is turning to to escape doctor welcome to the show and i appreciate you coming on today Hello, and thank you for having me on your show today. Excellent. Let's start off real, you know, let's go right to it here. Let's, um, you know, why did you write this book? What was the purpose behind it? What are you looking to get across? Well, you know, being an athlete at the collegiate and professional level as well as a coach, you come in contact with different things. You become aware of, of certain behaviors that are going on behind closed doors. Uh, they're not always illegal or aggressive in nature, but they soil the athlete cultures while victimizing others. And so, as a result, uh, you, you know that these things that are going on are, are, are not good for the athletes. They're not good for the people that are being targeted. And numerous athletes I had spoke to during the interviews uh, for the book, The Dark Side of Sports, noted that they had the same desire to write a book exposing some of the behind-the-scenes things that were going on in the closet in the darker side of sports and uh, didn't get around to doing it, obviously, and so they, they said that they would help me in my work. And so uh, this is kind of my inspiration for this, because you see things that, that just shouldn't be going on, and somebody needs to expose this stuff and address this stuff as well. Well, I agree 100% with you there. What sports did you primarily concentrate on so we give the audience an idea of exactly what we're looking at? Well, I interviewed 142 athletes from five major sports basketball, baseball, football, wrestling, hockey. And this included major league athletes, minor league athletes, collegiate athletes. But although those sports were the main athletes that were, were talked about in the book, virtually every sport was represented because guys were talking about how they knew the track and field uh, athletes had uh, gotten into this kind of situation. The tennis players, male gymnasts, lacrosse players, soccer players, swimmers and divers. Uh, rugby. So virtually no sport was excluded from these findings, and you know that's that's a big message in and of itself. And in addition, although the book focuses on sexual deviancy at the collegiate and professional level, it's important for parents to know that every single type of sexually deviant or aggressive behavior that was rampant at the higher levels begins at the high school level, and that's a huge message for parents. So we can step back take a deep look at this and go, these activities, uh, making it okay, acceptable, covering it up, more than likely starts at the middle school level, definitely starts going on at the high school level, then the higher up the chain of command you go as far as being an athlete, being a coach, that's where you really get the protection from, correct? 
Exactly. And, you know, with, with the situations that have been appearing in the news and the media recently, with some of the hazing situations, we find uh, a reoccurring theme that coaches as well as administrators are covering these things up. They don't want this information to get out. And uh, by, by keeping this stuff in the closet, by not addressing it, you're basically giving a green light for all kinds of atrocities and sexually deviant behaviors to flourish. And that's kind of been the reoccurring theme, not only of my book, but of some of these other situations we've been seeing appearing in the media as well. So would we be able to say here that it's more the rule than the exception that a school, say a high school or a college, might have a problem like this going on? You know, it is. And unfortunately, uh, we're seeing more and more of these situations coming out. And... Uh, you know, administrators are not taking the bull by the horns, addressing this stuff. Coaches are overlooking this or, in, in some cases, encouraging some of these behaviors. And as a result, uh, we've, we've, we have athlete cultures that are, are definitely in need of attention uh, because of the atrocities they are, they are part of. Is it real simple to say it all comes down to money? You know, that's, that's definitely part of it, and protecting individual team reputations, school reputations, institutional reputations. Yeah. Uh, this all ties in. You know, we don't want to uh, portray our brand, our school, our institution as uh, being deviant. We want to show ourselves to be in the best light, which oftentimes is a far cry from what is actually happening. You know, I find that interesting because when it comes right down to it, if it was one of these administrators, one of these coaches, one of these players, if it was one of their sisters, their wives, their sons, man, they would turn on this so quick. But because it's not them directly, they have to protect the institution because no one can tell me any differently that it does not and will not ever come down to money. I just have to look at Penn State as an example. Outside of that, I can look at the Catholic Church as a huge example. It's all about money, image, and, hey, I don't want to be tarnished. Would you agree? Yes, yes, I would. And, and, you know, in my book, The Dark Side of Sports, there is a reoccurring theme similar to the Penn State uh, scandal uh, as far as things being covered up, coaches looking the other way, uh, administrators not wanting to know what's going on so they can actually say, hey, I didn't know what was going on here, and they're honest and truthful with this. But at the same time, looking the other way, or not providing consistent deterring consequences basically gives a green light for these behaviors to go on. And when no one is holding athletes accountable, you know, you're, you're setting yourself up for all kinds of things. The, the discipline becomes a joke. Guys don't take it seriously, especially when the consequences are not metered equally to the third-string player versus the star on the team. It becomes a joke, and it allows all kinds of things to flourish in unprecedented ways. Well, you know, when you set the roadblock up and you have the sign man standing there, but he doesn't flip the sign and the cars keep going any way they want, there is no enforcement. Just having the crew there means nothing, and I'm using that to say that's the coaching system and the administration system. Now, I want to ask you, what was difficult for you to write this book? What was something or a couple things that stood out for you that made it hard to put it down on paper, that you really had to step back, reevaluate, and go, damn, I have to get this on paper, but it's going to be hard. 
you know, during my career as a collegiate professional athlete, I saw things and I knew the questions to ask. Now, my sport is hockey, yep. so when I'm starting to reveal this information, I knew that if you just write a book on hockey sexual deviancy and or aggression, it's not going to raise a lot of eyebrows, uh, but you bringing in all of the different sports was very important, and this is why I interviewed uh, the number of people I did, 142 in all, from the five major sports, to give this, uh, these findings credibility, to give these findings uh, the impact they need so that people would take a look and see what's going on. And the fact that it does happen at the high school level is, uh, is again, a huge message for parents who have athletes that are living under their roof, as well as parents who have daughters that are more often than not the targets of some of these deviant behaviors. Now, I'm trying to imagine, I mean, I'm going back to my days. Now, you played college, uh, ice hockey. Um, We talked the other day, definitely some big scandals at the uh, amateur and pro levels, going back to Theo Fleury and and, uh, Sheldon Kennedy being sexually molested by a very well-known juniors coach in Canada. What are we looking at here? Are we looking at kids, I mean, we're, we're more looking at boys than anything else in young men. Are we looking at they were born this way and it was going to come out no matter what? Society, the administration, the coaches have made it okay. There's no fathers around. What's the thing, or is it all of it? You know, when we're talking about deviancy in sports, we're talking about three different types uh, that I've uncovered. First, there's going to be the athlete-to-athlete targeting, where we're talking about the hazing and the, the initiations that are going on. So those have different influences than, say, the athletes who are targeting females in the sexually deviant ways. Uh, there's going to be a host of different influences that come together to impact this. And then you touched upon the third fact, where uh, coaches are sexually abusing athletes in startling numbers. Uh, When following the Penn State scandal, I was documenting the number of sexual abuse and or assaults appearing in the media. And I was finding 10 to 15 per month consistently. Well, some weeks it would be 60 to 70 percent involving administrators or coaches. Other weeks it would be 60 to 70 percent involving the athletes. So it was going back and forth on, on the numbers as far as uh, who was actually doing the, the perpetration, the offending in these cases. What we do know is, what I do know is about 75 to 80 percent of the victims were females. 20 to 25 percent were males. And when we're talking about male victims, we're talking about uh, the administrators or the coaches targeting the males. Well, Female well, victims, yeah. uh, oftentimes these were underage females. And so the coaches and administrators, again, targeting some of the uh, females underage. And so, you know, you have three different types of abuse. Coaches abuse, athlete-to-athlete abuse, and athlete-to-female abuse in these situations. You know, it's it's interesting to me because I can go back and I think about, you know, back in my day, back in your day probably, it was there, but we didn't know about it. Things are more exposed today. Um, I think about, okay, the big cover-up was, you know, maybe the uh, the party that got busted on Friday night, the night before the game, and the police would cut a little slack to us. You know, okay, just get out of here, leave the beer, that's it, don't talk about it. It seems like it's grown from that, where 
the student, the athlete, could get away with the beer party underage, the cop walked away or cops walk away from it, to now, well, you know, hell with it. If I can get away with that, why can't I uh, drop a couple of uh, drugs into this girl's drink, get her high, take her back to my place and do what I want? Who's going to question me? Is that where this is all headed over the last 25 years, you think, Doctor? You know, my findings encompass the 60s and every decade through 2010 mm. and beyond. And I found no difference in the types and amount of sexual deviancy that's been going on. So it's been going on since the 60s. So we're talking the last 50-plus years, uh, these behaviors have been flourishing. And as, as you touched upon it, you know, it is being more exposed, but I don't think it's happening any more or less than it has been for the past 50 years. You think it's being covered up more now because there's so much more at stake with big money programs? You know, I think it's always been covered up, but now people are more apt to talk about it because you're not going to be ostracized to the same extent that you may have before. So these behaviors are coming to light more because it's, it's okay to talk about sexual abuse, sexual assault. Whereas before, you know, this was kind of a taboo subject. And as a result, uh, you know, people are more comfortable exposing that they were victimized because, and, and people are stepping forward to say, this isn't right, this can't happen, rather than just keep it to themselves. And the fact that sexual assault and abuse is a very underreported crime as it is, uh, it's definitely an issue. Oh, yes, Doc. We're, we're going to come back and touch on that. Being a whistleblower is never easy, especially when you have to face so many other entities doing, you know, going down that road. You're listening to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Averly. Today, my guest is Dr. Nick Pappas. We are talking about the book he has written, The Dark Side of Sports, Sexual Deviancy in Sports. We'll be back in a few moments. Drinking while you're pregnant can give your baby brain damage and birth defects, learning disabilities, too. Look, here's the deal. If you drink alcohol while you're pregnant, you may be ruining your baby's chances of ever having a normal life. All forms of alcohol are dangerous, even beer and wine. Play it smart. Alcohol and pregnancy don't mix. This message is brought to you by the Chester County Department of Drug and Alcohol Services. For more information, please call toll-free 1-866-286-3767 or visit nofas.org. Any New Year's resolutions for you, Jim? Well, Anthony, besides losing a few pounds, I'm committed to lowering prices and giving greater deals than ever before. Is that even possible? Yes, at KiaWestchester.com and KiaCoatsville.com. This year's shaping up to be even better. I'm working out, so I have the energy to run the competition into the ground. That's crazy! With deals like this, it's not crazy. Only at KiaWestchester.com and KiaCoatsville.com, you could drive a new Soul for just $99 a month. New Sorrentos, drive for $11,995. Optima, drive for $89.95. Or up to $8,000 off with trade. This is one New Year's resolution I'm going to keep. New Kias come with a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited powertrain warranty. And always remember, Jim Sapao wants to see you in a Kia. Soul 4,000 down, 36-month lease. Optima insurance on 36-month lease. One-time payment up to 8000 off dealer's posted price. All incentives included in pricing. 
Hi, my name is Nicole Zell, and I'm the new host of Soundstage. Every Thursday from 4 to 5 p.m., we'll be featuring local musicians and upcoming artists. That's Soundstage, every Thursday, 4 to 5 p.m., with me, Nicole Zell, on WCHE 1520 AM, the talk of Chester County. Hi, I'm actress Emmy Rossum, and you're listening to WCHE Radio AM. Welcome back to Life on Ed. I'm your host, John Aberly. Before we get back to my interview with Dr. Pappas, I wanted to make a quick announcement. Unfortunately, had a preempt today's show with Jefferson Harmon, the Dream Interpreter. He will be on next week, same time. So again, I apologize for that. Uh, doctor, getting back to you, could you please tell us where we can get a copy of your book, The Dark Side of Sports? My website, www.drnickpappas.com, has links to Amazon.com, BarnesandNobles.com, but the book can be purchased at virtually any bookseller. And uh, definitely has big messages in for numerous people, not only in the sports realm, but for parents and uh, interested sports enthusiasts as well to find out what's going on behind the closed doors. Now, what is the difference? Give me the difference between sexual aggression, sexually aggressive acts compared to sexual deviancy? Well, that's a great question. When we're talking about sexual deviancy, you know, we're talking about the more perverted, squalid sexual practices that are going on, that are demeaned, that are harmful, that victimize others. And they're not always against the law, but they tarnish our athlete cultures. Uh, they ruin personal and team reputations. But they also can act as stepping stones to illegal behaviors, including athlete sexual aggression. And so when we're talking about sexually deviant behaviors, we can be talking about things that involve competition and contests to have sex with females. Voyeurism, video voyeurism, group sex, which easily crosses the line to group sexual assault, in addition to uh, things like uh, the rampant promiscuity that can result in all kinds of uh, juggling situations, infidelities, sex in the recruiting process and the hazing that become very sexualized in the athlete cultures. Now, it's interesting you bring up sex in the recruiting process, because if you go back the last 15, 20, 25 years and watch any movie that is depicting that process, whether it be college basketball, college football, which is usually two that are focused on, that's a part of it. I remember the movie Johnny Be Good, and pretty much that was it. I mean, they're like, well, you can have the blonde, the redhead, or the brunette, or at, and where you can have the African-American girl. It's your pick. And that's, you know, something that's shown, laughed at, and I guess expected now by today's elite athlete going into the college program. You know, according to my findings, 50% of the guys I talked to knew about it happening within their teams. A third had personal experiences. So, uh, and this is significant because 40% of the hockey players didn't go to college but mm -hmm. took the route to juniors to the pros. And so, you know, the, the practices of going to strip clubs and the sexual setups, including sexual setups with prostitutions, uh, pro excuse me, prostitutes, were, you know, extremely common in the athlete culture. And uh, oftentimes the coaches behind the scenes or flagrantly part of these processes are uh, extremely disturbing because I don't know too many parents that, are going to say, oh, yeah, when my kid goes to this school to get recruited, I want him to be hooking up with a prostitute or something to that effect. So extremely disturbing uh, in the types of uh, 
sex that is going on and the extent of it. Now, this goes across socioethnic lines, correct, Doctor? I mean, we're not talking just about, uh, you know, the poor athlete coming out of the inner city who might get, you know, some preferential treatment or get a cover-up. This goes all the way to the upper class, too, doesn't it? This goes all the way to the star quarterback on the high school or college team whose parents are considered in the top 2% of the wealth of this country. So it's across the board. Uh, definitely across the board. I mean, when you're in the athlete culture, uh, you know, these kind of, uh, what do I want to say, perks, benefits, apply to everybody uh, that a school and or institution or team is, is wanting to recruit and to get the sign on the dotted line. So, uh, yeah, it, 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 doesn't, it, it doesn't target one group or another group. Uh, socioeconomically, racially, ethnically, uh, it's it's all across the board. Now, would you say overall, we're looking at the coaches, the parents, the administrators, they seem to be all setting the tone for this. They're looking the other way. Is there ever a point, Have you did you talk to anyone involved on those levels where they specifically said to you, well, look, I can live with A as far as the, this, these kids are going to be out there, they're going to be chasing after girls. They're going to sleep with as many as they can. That's part of the deal. You know, they might go to strip clubs. These are young men. This is part of the deal. But I have to draw the line at. And did they tell you what at was? You know, at was three different activities that I'll talk about now that were extremely common and prevalent. Okay. Uh, one of them has to do with the competitions and contests. Seventy-five percent of the guys I talked to knew about these things when they were when they were athletes. A third participated, and we're talking about how many females, you know, actual contests with point systems, charts, spreadsheets, specific rules, and it entails, you know, how many females we can hook up with in a twenty-four hour period. Well, what about a week, a semester, a season? Okay, we're only going to have this contest for road trips, but it's going to target. Females with different physical characteristics, as you said, the blondes, the brunettes one week, and the redheads another week. The more crueler contests uh, involve the heavier set females. But it could also include competitions between different sports where football is competing against basketball. Wrestlers are competing against swimmers and divers. And I didn't even interview swimmers and divers, but the wrestlers were talking about their competitions. But uh, extremely disturbing because it's not about, okay, I want to meet this girl to get to know her and, and go out with her. No, I'm going to put up the highest numbers I can because I'm in competition with this other team or this other athlete. And uh, this is where situations can easily cross the line of sexual aggression because you want to get the numbers. And there's an instance in my book where I talk about one athlete that uh, did perhaps come very close to crossing the line uh, with this kind of a situation that we're discussing now. Now, let's kind of flip it back now. I can't, we obviously can't just sit here and just talk about the male athletes in particular themselves. I mean, there's definitely a whole other side to this equation, and that's going to be the female. And you can't tell me they walk the straight and line narrow here. It just doesn't work that way. Any athlete will tell you, and I've been around it, I've done a fair amount of bodyguard work over my career. And I've been around athletes. I've seen it up close and personal. I've seen women push their way through athletes' children, the wife, the girlfriend, to get a note to them, to get a pair of their panties to them. So there's definitely aggression on that side of it as well. 
Why are women so drawn to it, and why do they put themselves in that situation? You know, uh, in the book, The Dark Side of Sports, that I wrote, Chapter 4 is about sexually available females. So you touched upon a very important point where there are females that are competing as well for athletes. Athletes are very pre- in very prestigious positions. There's a lot of money involved. There's a lot of um, fame involved with being seen with them. So, yes, they, too, appear to be in competition. The problem is these females, and you can call them groupies or whatever, team followers, they have no idea in many cases the different ways they can be targeted by groups of athletes so it, it, it's, it's gone beyond the fact that, okay, I'm just going to hook up with this, this girl and leave it at that. It's the way guys now are targeting females as sexual predators. For instance, uh, the, the, the voyeurism that's happening. Over 75% of my guys knew about this and a third participated, where a guy would be bringing a female back to hook up with her, and he would already have his teammates staked out in the room to watch the situation. But it doesn't just stop at watching the situation because guys now want to make homemade pornography. And so they're going to videotape the situation without her knowing it. Or if it's dark or she's a little intoxicated, they're going to try to switch up on the female without her knowing it. So it can easily become group sex if she consents, or more often than not, it's group sexual assault because if she's intoxicated at all, Drugs and alcohol have taken away her ability to give consent, and now it's crossed the line into group rape, group sexual assault. Now, I'm not trying to give an excuse to an athlete, but I'm going to try to look at it from their perspective for a moment. You're a young man. Maybe you're at the college level. You're going to go pro. You have become a pro. You're pretty damn good. Women are throwing themselves at you. They've been throwing themselves at you since you were 15, 16. Everyone says it's okay. Everyone says, don't worry about it. You look at women as prizes because that's the atmosphere you come from. So how much do we blame the athlete for not understanding that there has to be a limit here and that you have crossed the line at some point? How much can we truly blame directly at the athlete and not the entire system built around him? Well, that's a great question because... It is culturally embedded in many athlete cultures uh, to uh, take all you can get. And uh, this has no limits. This is unbridled, uncontrolled, so to speak. And so uh, it's about changing the athlete culture, the mentality that, uh, you know, these behaviors are wrong. And the fact that numerous athletes I talked to wanted to write the same type of book to say, you know, this was amazing what we could do. But at the same time, it was not good. We should not have been able to do this because of the damage it causes, not only to ourselves, but to others, and the way it soils the athlete culture as well. So victimizing others, victimizing self by these behaviors. And uh, people that I talked to actually said, you know, these behaviors that were out of control, as far as I was concerned, crossed the lines of sexual addictions, compulsions and obsessions that I had a hell of a time getting over. And so uh, the behaviors that are allowed to go on in certain athlete cultures, oftentimes after the fact, these athletes are, you know, this wasn't good, I shouldn't have gotten involved in this. And there is definitely regret for what they participated in and in many cases were part of this 
culture, so to speak, that you've, you've brought up. Doctor, we're going to hit back on that after we come back from the break here. You're listening to Life on Edom, your host, John Averly. Today, my guest is Dr. Nick Pappas. We are talking about his book, The Dark Side of Sports. Be back in a few moments. Do you want to know what's going on with your favorite celebrities when it comes to entertainment, fashion, beauty, fitness, and lifestyle? Well, tune in for The Bryn Project every Wednesday at 12.15 and every Saturday at 12. I'll even catch you up on childhood stars like Boy Meets World actor Will Friedle. By the time I hit 30, I stopped doing on-camera work entirely. I'm having too much fun doing the voiceover stuff. Find out the latest tour and album information from your favorite artists like pop sensation Carmen. When we were working on the album, we had so many songs recorded. Some of them sounded really fun and really Carmen, and I think a lot of the stuff that inspires us is really fun. Check out tips for balancing life as a working parent from people like actress Melissa Joan Hart. It was difficult because I was missing them a lot, but now we have decided to all stick together more, and so we've been traveling back and forth across the country as a unit. Also, get motivated to get healthy with experts like Good Morning America contributor Tori Johnson. So I realized that rewarding myself with food is akin to an alcoholic celebrating a month of sobriety with a beer. And you never know what some of your favorite stars might say. The last time I was in Philly, they surrounded me and they were like, we love you on MTV, you're our favorite comedian. Aww. I was like, Aww. So you don't want to miss all the action. Check out The Bryn Project every Wednesday at 12.15 and every Saturday at 12 right here on WCAG 1520 AM. What do I want? I want to be seen faster. I want to spend as little time in the waiting room as possible. Less waiting. More taking care of me. At Brandywine Hospital, you'll find a 30 minutes or less ER service pledge. 30 minutes or less? You can even find our average ER wait time online or with your mobile device. Don't wait when you need care fast. Turn to Brandywine Hospital. Learn more at brandywinehospital.com. Hey, I'm Val Schmikowski from Dancing with the Stars, and you're listening to WCHE 1520 AM, the talk of Chester County. Welcome back to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Averly. Today, my guest is Dr. Nick Pappas. We are talking about his book, The Dark Side of Sports, Sports Sexual Deviancy. Dr. Um, please, again, tell us when we get a copy of your book. Uh, Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, often through my website, www.drnickpappas.com. There are links to Barnes & Noble, Amazon.com, and virtually any bookseller it can be purchased. So I encourage you to pick up a copy and find out uh, what's going on in the athlete culture, particularly if you have a daughter or no, adult, no, no females and or male athletes that could be victimized and or part of this. Doctor, before we took a break, we were talking about how the athlete might feel entitlement and how women themselves play a pretty big role in that. And I want to stay on that for a moment. I want to talk about the athletes that are married. Uh, I've been around enough of the wives and even the girlfriends over the years to hear the conversations that they expect their husbands to step out on them. They know it's more possible than it would be normally. Um, they don't want to know about it. There's a few. There's a few that'll you know make a comment, say, "Hey, I'll, you know, I'll go after her. I'll rip her head off." I can think of a few uh, very popular moments that have happened out here in the Philadelphia sports area at stadiums where wives and girlfriends of the athlete uh, collided. Um, 
But women seem, once they get inside that circle, there seems to be an acceptance towards it, like, you know, boys will be boys, just make sure you take care of me and our kids. Did you find that in your studies? Yes, I did. Uh, And you touch upon some very interesting points that there are women that do take that attitude. At the same time, infidelity cheating is extreme in the athlete culture. I found three-quarters of the guys I talked to uh, knew at least 40% of their teammates that cheated. And, and what was more interesting was a third said cheating is going on about 70 to 100% of, of, among the people on the teams that I played on. So extremely common. Now, more than any other uh, negative behavior, cheating is linked to, as you noted, uh, violence. And this could be violence from the female to the athlete, violence from the athlete to the female, violence from the athlete to a non-male, or violence to another athlete. And I even came across a situation where uh, after one athlete's family situation was crashing and burning, when his infidelity was discovered, he tried to take his own life. So violence is strongly connected to infidelity and cheating. And oftentimes, you know, when we're talking about infidelity, we're talking about guys having a different female in every city or up to two or three on some of the uh, cities that they, they compete in. So uh, extremely common behavior, but linked to violence. And after the fact, guys talk about how, you know, they lost the love of their life, who they've never been able to replace because of the infidelity that they got caught up in that is, you know, acceptable with the athlete culture, but people don't realize that there are consequences that will hit you hard and when you're no longer putting on the uniform you f- you find out very quickly that the uh that the following was more about who you were and what you were doing than than you as a person oh yeah you find out definitely who really loves and cares about you now with all this kind of coming full circle to me and i want to get into this part of it now what i consider to be the explosive situation um an athlete takes a girl back to his apartment her apartment somehow they're together uh maybe there's been some drinking maybe there hasn't the girl has a good reputation maybe she doesn't but let's say she does in this case and now the accusation is hit he raped me his story is it was aggression it was consensual sex now let's break that down we can take an example of this would be the heisman trophy winner Jameis Winston out of Florida State University. Now, allegedly, uh, this did not occur. He was completely exonerated of all possibilities that this did occur. But the question remains to me, in your studies, how many women lie about something like that and actually get away with it? What are the numbers? Because what I've studied over the years, what I've read is, there's not a lot of women out there that really go around crying rape. That's more put out there as a way of protection for the male. Would you agree? You know, with regard to what you're talking about, that's a very, very important uh, topic. Mm -hmm. And what I found was sexual assaults or rape with regard to false accusations, we're talking about 3% here. Mm -hmm. And that's about the same as it is for other crimes because the prosecutors have extensive protocol and questioning that would screen these out. And, you know, it's a very... Sexual assault, rape is an extremely underreported crime. And uh, 
you know, it, it's rare when people do uh, falsely accuse. It happens, and, and, and there are instances of this, but with 3% of all sexual assaults uh, being uh, touted as a false accusation, it, it's not that common. Thank you. See, for me, that goes right into the cover-up. And by that I mean, you know, you get a good attorney, you get some quick-thinking administrators, you get a coach that knows the ins and outs, and it's, again, not what you know, it's what you can prove, and that's the way it's always said. But see me now, probably you as well as an adult life experiences, I have to ask myself, does it pass the sniff test? Does what this, is what this kid telling me pass? Does it seem possible? Probably not in a lot of cases, but I'm looking, if I'm the administrator, I'm the coach, I'm someone that I'm tied to this kid. My livelihood's tied to him. I'm going to find any shred to believe in. Would you agree? Is that human nature right there happening? You know, unfortunately, with the big-time programs being what they are and the amount of money and the power and prestige they have, uh, it, you know, that's a very, very uh, excellent reason for what happens when these, these kind of cases come up. And, you know, it's, it's something that definitely needs attention. And when we're putting... Uh, people being victimized over what's what's right and wrong. Uh, it definitely is something that needs to be addressed. I'll contend this to my grave. If it was one of those people's daughters, the world would turn upside down. They would turn it upside down until they found the answers. But as long as it's not one of theirs, they will find justification to let it go and keep moving forward. We see it all the time. I don't care if it's the coach. The administrator, the DA, the police chief, the trash man. I don't care. I know it. I've seen it. And I'm pretty sure you have as well just during your studies of the book. Would I agree? I mean, you agree there? Yes. And, you know, whenever uh, people experience something from a personal level that hits home, uh, it's going to have a lot more impact than the person outside where we're we don't know this person. We we haven't. We don't know. We don't have a personal relationship with her, as opposed to somebody uh, in house, in our family, a relative, someone we know. Uh, it's going to be that much more impacting. So you know, we have to look at these uh, victims many times as, you know, not just a number, a, a, a person that's oh a groupie or this and that, because you know they are people, and too often times, I think that's discounted until a situation hits somebody home at home with with a personal relationship as you noted well to me that says somewhere along the line as a society we have come to lack empathy and we have come to look the wrong way as things that should be looked at directly the right way we have allowed money to corrupt us we have allowed all of these outside issues, and I'm not trying to say that, you know, I'm living in this great world and I'm this pious person. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I can't believe how a father, in particular when I say this, a father could look away from a girl who could be his daughter, doesn't have to be, could be, in that same age range, and they go, ah, I found an excuse to make sure this kid gets off. It doesn't pass the sniff test, but it's okay with me. That's the stuff, as a father of two daughters, I have a hard time comprehending. But with that said, I want to move on now to getting into the coaches. The power that a coach has, an athletic trainer, 
uh, maybe a special administrator at the college level, per se, or even the high school level, who they themselves are predators. Uh, a Jerry Sandusky, as an example. Um, I cannot, for the moment, think of the gentleman's name up in, I can't call him a gentleman, but the guy up in Canada who was the juniors coach who sexually molested Theo Fleury and Sheldon Kennedy for years. But these are people that put themselves in positions of power over children. Where did the adults miss the boat here? You know, that's a great, that's a great question. And you, you were referring to the Graham James. That's it. Thing. Thank you. Yes, Graham James. You know, the fact that sexual predators seek out positions where they have a pool of eligibles. Uh, one study found that, that over 50% of the sexual molesters were seeking out uh, people because they were instructing them for a different sport, a game, an instrument. So uh, this puts people in contact, puts sexual molesters in contact with uh, those they could uh, begin to groom for the uh, uh, sexual molesting process. Uh, you know, Jerry Sandusky uh, used his group, the Second Mile. Penn State was one of two universities that I did. I played my college hockey at, and then I worked camps there at the university for the next 25 years. So my experiences working hockey schools brought me in contact with Jerry Sandusky and his group, the Second Mile. They would often stay in the same dormitories as the hockey players, just on different floors. So I got to know these counselors. He used his charity organization to attack kids, basically, and extremely disturbing because, you know, here's this very, very influential man who you'd hear classrooms chanting his name, and yet he's using this organization as a front to target young males. Uh, the, the fact that these predators, particularly those that are attracted to and target young males, they appear to be heterosexual. They're married oftentimes. They have families and kids. They have an active sex life. They're middle-class people. They're, they're influential in many cases. You don't expect them to be targeting young males. Doctor, and stop right there, and I'll tell you why. I want to make sure my audience gets this, okay? I want to make sure they get this. Most pedophiles, people, are not homosexual. So homosexuals are not coming after your children. Most pedophiles live a heterosexual lifestyle, have children, have jobs, and try to blend in. Doctor, I, you know, go ahead now. I appreciate you giving me that second. <laughs> exactly. And, I want people to know that. And, and that's a great point. And the fact that they oftentimes, in a lifetime, will have 500 to 600 victims. And it's about 150 before they get caught. So you're talking about tremendous numbers of people that are being victimized by these guys. Uh, you know, one study pertaining to child sexual abuse involving females, 80% of the victims couldn't get anybody but to believe them. So this perpetuates this. So these, these offenders have accomplices, so to speak, when people are looking the other way or not reporting. They're, they're evaluating, oh, maybe this, maybe that, but they're not reporting these situations. And for males, the stigma of being labeled a homosexual enables these behaviors to continue uh, because males don't report this. You got it, Doctor. We're going to take another break. On the back end of that, we're going to delve into what you were just talking about. You're listening to Life on Ed. I'm your host, John Averly. Today, my guest is Dr. Nick Pappas. He has written a book, The Dark Side of Sports. We'll be back in a few moments.
Pennsylvania kids waiting to be adopted a chance to tell us what a permanent home would mean to them. These kids are not actors. They are real children, and this is what they had to say. I would like a family because I never really had a family. I have been alone for a long time in my life, and I would like a mother and father that I could follow in their footsteps. I dream of being adopted and being taken care of and loved. I would bring very good humor to a family. I want to have a place to call home. Right now, it's hard, but I know someday I'll find that family. I'm Suzanne Cauley, wife of Lieutenant Governor Jim Cauley. We are foster and adoptive parents. Right now, in Pennsylvania, there are more than 6,000 kids over the age of 12 who need families. Visit AdoptPAKids.org to meet these and other great kids. Or call 1-800-585-SWAN and learn how you can become a foster or adoptive parent. I speak from experience. Family is something that every kid deserves. Tom Corbett, Governor. PAMatters.com is the exclusive home for Radio PA's Ask the Governor program, now brought to you by the Pennsylvania Manufacturers Association. This is Governor Tom Corbett. Each month, we'll talk about the issues that affect you on Ask the Governor. You can submit your questions today by visiting PAMatters.com. Each month, Governor Tom Corbett joins us in studio for a one-hour conversation, including answers to your questions and comments submitted to PAMatters.com. To take part, just go to PAMatters.com and click on the Ask the Governor link at the top of the page. Fill out the form with your brief question or comment and click submit. It's just that simple. Or you can send a direct email to askthegov at pamatters.com. That's askthegov, G-O-V, at pamatters.com. Stop by pamatters.com today and send in your question. You can also access archived video clips from past Ask the Governor programs and other features from the Radio PA Newsroom. Be sure to bookmark pamatters.com and also join us on the PA Matters Facebook page. pamatters.com. People. Politics. Pennsylvania. Hi, I'm Amy Grant, and you're listening to WCHE 1520 AM. Welcome back to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Averly. Today, my guest is Dr. Nick Pappas. He has written the book, The Dark Side of Sports, about sexual deviancy inside the sports world. Doctor, uh, the last segment here, but before we get into it, please again tell us how we can get a copy of the book. Uh, it can be purchased through virtually any bookseller, including Amazon.com, Barnes and Nobles. Uh, just go to a bookstore, and you can order it there. Excellent, doctor. Are you available for uh, personal appearances and such? Yes, I do. I do speak on uh, coaches, athletes, sexual deviancy and aggression. So, uh, you know, teams, organizations, uh, whether they be coaches and/or athletes, I definitely do speaking and, and presentations on this topic, as well as preventative information, not just exposing this, but how to, how to prevent this stuff as well. Okay. Before we took the break, we were talking about Jerry Sandusky in particular, about how someone of power, a coach, can basically just take over a town. And that's what Jerry Sandusky did. He manipulated so well, created his own pipeline, so to speak, through the Second Mile Foundation. Uh, you see it with uh, Graham James up there in uh, Canada, with the hockey program, the juniors program, what can parents, other administrators, adults, what can we look for, signs that someone like this exists within our circles? Well, I think the first important point is that too often parents are thinking that these molesters 
are the guy wearing the raincoat in the alley where it's the stranger that we don't know. 85% of the children that are abused, they know they're perpetrators. They know these people. And it's the neighbor. It's the, uh, the uncle. It's the, the friend, the coach, the teacher. It's not the guy in the dark alley. And that's important to note. So these people have relationships with the kids. They're trustworthy, and they've broken down the barriers to be able to communicate with parents and gain the trust of the kid. So this is one of the biggest things, that it's not the stranger that's doing these things. It's, it's people we know. Now, what I've also found, again, in my own you know, side studies, talking to people, following things, uh, someone like Jerry Sandusky built up this incredible pipeline for himself. You might get the tennis coach, where it's one-on-one, the swimming coach. What I have found over time is if you talk to enough people, Someone along the way has heard whispers, rumors, something that pointed that this person was not exactly on the up and up. But it kind of stayed, you know, in the shadows and no one really brought it up. But I think most people uh, can sense something, but they're just afraid to step forward and speak up. Would you agree? You know, that's true. And, and with regard to the Graham James incident, which he was the hockey coach in mm-hmm. Canada yes. that abused some of the players that ended up making the NHL. The, the rumors for years were, uh, you know, the abuse that he was handing out to different players, but it was kind of the, the silent joke that nobody really knew if that was real or not, but I've talked to people and, and they said these rumors existed for years. But this is why it's so important to report rather than try to evaluate these situations. You know, by reporting, it puts it in the hands of professionals that are going to do the investigations, as opposed to people that are just going to make speculations about this in their own mind without taking the next step. So this is why it's so important. Uh, It's not about or up to us to evaluate just when we see something, hear something, know something, it's better to report. Let's take this now the last nine minutes. We've talked about the people involved. We've talked about the predators. We've talked about the aggressive athletes. We've talked about the cover-ups. We've talked about everyone except really until this moment coming up, the victims. And, you know, what happens to a, a, a child, to a young adult who is molested, especially someone they trusted that had power over them? I read Theo Fleury's book, and let me tell you, what happened to him with Graham James and what was done to him over those years totally sidetracked his life. I mean, the fact he's still alive is amazing. Uh, but, you know, again, Doctor, tell us, what, what happens to a child, to a young adult that experiences this? You know, it's a huge betrayal because there's a person that you allowed in your life uh, and you became in this intimate situation that crossed the line, that took advantage and used you sexually. And so, uh, you know, it's the realization that, you know, I was used, and then you see the molesters moving on, and it, it, just, it just brings out uh, an array of volatile emotions uh, where the, the victims will withdraw from family and especially friends, loss of interest in different activities that they previously enjoyed. You'll see a lot of different... Uh, behaviors that could be acting out with with regards to failing grades, 
getting involved in drugs, alcohol, as a way to escape from these memories, these intrusive memories that they can't get out of their mind. So teenage years by themselves are pretty emotionally and roller coasters, but we're talking about very, very large changes here uh, as far as what we see going on. And then you're going to see uh, sexual acting out because when a adult crosses the line for somebody's personal boundaries, the kid no longer has any boundaries. So oftentimes people think that sexual, sexual acting out is the result of child sexual abuse, not a cause. But basically, you know, if a kid has information or knows things sexually that they shouldn't know for their behavior, that's a sign. You know, anytime a coach takes blatant interest in a youngster with special attention gifts, uh, they want to spend more time because they think this person's special and this person has greater athletic talents. These are red flags that we need to be uh, very aware of. And when kids are, uh, you know, have this sense of helplessness, hopelessness, and they're, they're doing things to harm each other, themselves, we need to really look close at, at maybe this person was victimized in some way. You know, Doctor, got me thinking. Um, going back to the uh, Sandusky thing in particular, considering how tied in he was uh, to the Penn State community, uh, the whole program, everything about Penn State itself is just bigger than life. And this is what it is, and you should be glad to be here because you know this is uh, this is the mountain. This is it. Now, I was wondering, would you suggest this? Go with me on this. That in a situation such as that, if uh, a parent and a child were ready to go forward and make an accusation and say this is what ha- what's happening, would you agree it might be in their best interest to step away from that community, maybe seek out the FBI, some neutral third party, some place where the influence is not there? You think that would be a good idea? Because the more I've follow the Sandusky case, and I've heard the stories of the different victims, how a couple went for help and the one school counselor like dismissed it. It made me think, if you're that deep into this situation, you might want to get away and go to a totally third party that has no connection. What do you think? Well, this is why states have the Department of Human uh, Resources and you know your Child Protective Services, where these people are taking the information and will follow up on it as opposed to you know it's 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 always extremely disturbing to hear people that are uh, coaches or counselors or teachers that that didn't believe someone and these behaviors were allowed to continue as a result but that's why you go right to children's protective services and organizations such as that that are state-run to uh, get that information out so that they will follow up as well as you follow up with them as well Doctor, about uh, three minutes left. Can you give me uh, one great piece of advice uh, out there to the parents that are listening? One thing that you want to get across in the next, like, two minutes. Well, with regard to coaches' sexual deviancy, Mm -hmm. keep your eyes open. Um, If you feel something's not right, check it out. Look closely at it. Uh, There's usually something to it. When we're talking about athlete sexual deviancy, listen to the way that the kids are talking about women. Disrespectful, sexist language, jokes, and behaviors is a sign. Look at the pornography that may be happening, which is a how-to guide. 
Uh, look for deviant peer groups that may be trying to outdo each other, uh, oftentimes in conjunction with substance abuse. You know, if you're afraid to talk about these situations and ask questions about these situations before they happen, you may only get to talk about it after they happen. So whether it's athletes targeting other athletes, athletes targeting females, and or coaches targeting athletes, it's important to keep your eyes open, ask questions, talk to coaches, talk to athletes, find out what's going on, and, and see if things are happening that shouldn't be. Doctor, I truly appreciate you coming on today. A topic that had to be discussed. What I can say is I highly recommend your book, The Dark Side of Sports. Talk about the sexual deviancy in sports can be found on Amazon.com. Doctor, you're welcome back here anytime. Again, I appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me on your show. Thank you.